Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New Life Unit Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church of the OPC in the San Francisco Bay Area. We'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently when you blessed cry us with out, let your collection of idols deliver Over you. the years, our church but has been small and carry them all down. away. But overall, things have been we'll tight them. financially, but and the church has been he small. Who puts now, his by the grace of God, we are growing. Shall possess the land. We believe it wise and shall inherit to think about building a holy building mountain. to facilitate even more. And growth. one shall say, our current keep it up, keep it up. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty who inhabits eternity. Whose name us to is grow holy. To a point where we can be I dwell in the high and holy able to help place. Other churches. With One of the things that we want to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself to revive for the sake the of the advancement of the, humble of the kingdom and to revive of God. We believe that this new building ones. can help us get there. For I will not so we are praying that God would nor will I always be angry needed to build for the spirit which failed before to me it, and the souls and which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him the preaching and of restore the comforts to him so if you want as to, to his mourners. And to, to I create the fruit of the lips. This new building peace, built, peace. Please consider giving a financial gift to the same. And to him who you is near, give by sending us a Lord. check with building and fund I will in the memo heal line. him. Our address but the can wicked are website. like the troubled You can also sea. give by Zell by sending the money to nc.opc There is no says my God for the wicked. At gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name. Let's ask now for God the preaching of his word. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would not, not allow your word to be preached without the, the blessing of your spirit to, to go with it. For, Lord, we, we recognize that without uh, your spirit there is no benefit we, we, we recognize that, Lord, should a sermon be preached uh, perfectly with zeal and with uh, and according to the truth that yet, Lord, uh, the end that is sought is a spiritual end. It is beyond the, the ability of, of a preacher to attain by himself and of himself. And therefore, Lord, we do pray for your grace. We do pray for the outpouring of your spirit. We do pray that this word, uh, which speaks of such glorious things of your gospel, that it would be used by you to benefit your people, to build them up and edify them, that it would be used, O oh Lord, for the sanctification of your name. For ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, one of the most uh, popular books of all time is Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan in the 17th century. And if you're familiar with the book, you'll know what it is about. There is uh, various characters, and all of the characters, all of their names are basically the, the point that John Bunyan's trying to make about them. And the main, the main character is Christian, at least in part one of the book. And Christian is on a, a journey. He's on a journey to the celestial city, which is Mount Zion. And basically, the, the story is all about uh, all the different sorts of things that Christian faces along the way, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a metaphor or an allegory uh, for the Christian life. And what John Bunyan is doing is he is 
the entire life of faith, the entire Christian life as a journey. It is a journey from one point to another. He, the Christian has to leave the city of destruction. He has to go through the wicked gate, the narrow gate, so to speak. He has to go on his journey on the way to the celestial city. And one of the things that we see in the scriptures, and I think this is the thing that John Bunyan is picking up on, is that the scriptures also describe the Christian life in this way. John Bunyan is actually picking up on this as a theme uh, of the scriptures itself. And we see this particularly in the book of Isaiah as one, just one example. And in this passage where the, the Christian life is described as a journey to the mountain of God. Same thing as what uh, uh, John Bunyan is pointing out to Mount Zion, the celestial city, so to speak. It is a journey to the mountain of God. And Isaiah at various points in his prophecy will speak about a way, a highway that has to be set up and all the righteous will walk on it. And this is what he is continuing to describe here in Isaiah uh, chapter 57. He has, we, we looked last week at uh, verses 1 through 13, and we saw the description particularly of the wicked, of the family, of the prostitute. And we noted that there is, um, in this whole chapter, a description of two different kinds of families. There is the one that's, the, that's unfaithful to God, and there's the other that is faithful to God. You'll notice here we come to the, the description of the faithful family, and you'll notice that the faithful family is characterized right off the bat as being the family, in verse 13, the group that shall inherit the holy mountain of God, in verse 13, verse that we looked at briefly last week as well. And this family then, this group of people, this house, they, they, they walk on the highway. And the point, the, the, the implication of, of this is in verse 14, we have the highway that's prepared. The stumbling blocks are removed from the highway. The point is to say is that the, 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 the way, the highway, leads to the mountain. And those who are on the way are going towards the mountain and they ultimately will be with God forever. This is the way in which Isaiah uh, describes the life of faith. And therefore, as we think about this, Isaiah is putting before us two different kinds of people. He's putting us before us two different kinds of houses. And we're meant to, to, to think about this question. What, what house do we belong to? What house do you belong to? Are you a part of the unfaithful house that's described as being idolatrous, as, as Isaiah describes it in verses 1 through 13? Or, or are you a part of that people that are pilgrims on this earth, that are on the highway that God himself has prepared, the highway that leads into his presence, that has its end as the mountain of God, where God will take you to be with himself forever? Having described the one, Isaiah now lead, goes on to describe the other, and, the, and that so that you might find yourself as one who is on that same path. Now, we're going to look at this passage under, uh, under three headings. First, we're going to look at uh, the way, uh, the, uh, um, and particularly, and in particular, actually before that even, uh, those who trust in God. So those, we're going to look at uh, the, 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 the kinds of people who will, uh, who will inherit the mountain. And then we're going to look at the way that is prepared in verses 14 to 16. So, so those, who, those who need to go on the path and who are on the path, um, the way that actually uh, is the path, and then, uh, and then how it is that God's people are brought onto the path. How is it that they are, how is it that they are led on along the way? We'll see that it is only by the mercy of God. Uh, and, and then very briefly, then we'll look at the contrast that is given with, uh, with, with the wicked. Now, uh, look with me again then at verse 13. You'll, you'll note that 
uh, in verse 13, there's a description of those who will inherit the mountain. You'll, you'll remember that uh, last week we, uh, we looked at this verse as well. Verse 13 is actually a hinge point in the chapter. So verse 13 is the, the culmination of the word of judgment against those who do not follow uh, God, those who have, who have given themselves over to idolatry rather than putting their faith and their confidence in God. And then what Isaiah does in verse 13 is he, he gives this final word of judgment against those who are a part of this wicked house and then immediately contrast that with those who will have better fortune, so to speak, who will inherit the holy mountain of God. Now, if this is the case, then it's important then for us to ask this first question, which is um, what, what kind of a person actually inherits this mountain? What is the main distinction and this difference, the difference between those who are on the one hand are following after idols in the, in, of the house of the prostitute and those who are of the house of the faithful woman of Zion who is, in fact, our mother. You'll notice that the description that's given in verse 13 is one of trust. He who puts his trust in me shall inherit the land. He shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Now, this is significant because uh, what Isaiah is saying very clearly is, on the one hand, there are the, those who are idolaters. And if you were to ask, okay, what, what is the opposite? He could have said, it's you know, those who keep the law perfectly, it's those who are righteous. You notice that's not what he says. He says, the opposite are those who trust, those who trust in me. The characteristic of those who will possess the land is those who trust in God. That is to say, Isaiah is, is teaching the same thing that the Apostle Paul will teach so long ago. And as you know, the, the, what, what we see in the epistles, all of the epistles, is that um, Paul is arguing that this was in the Old Testament, that when he speaks of salvation by grace through faith, what he is arguing is that this is the doctrine of the Old Testament. Here, you could say, is one of the many texts that you could go to to show this from the Old Testament. Isaiah says, but he who puts his trust in me, that one shall inherit the land. That is the one who shall inherit the land. It is, it is not someone who is perfectly righteous within himself. Uh, there, there, there is a description we can make of, of this class of people in terms of their sanctification. But, but even apart from that, the, the main thing that Isaiah is, is showing is that there's the wicked idolaters on the one hand, and then there are those who take refuge in God as those who trust him on the other. And they are the ones who will receive the promises of God. You'll notice there are two promises that are shown uh, to be given to them, the promise of the land and the promise of the mountain. The land is related to the, uh, the promise that was made to Abraham uh, so long ago. Uh, Isaiah has already spoken about an exile that is going to come. Uh, as the Babylonians have, have come and they, they saw the, the storerooms of Hezekiah, and Isaiah says, all of these things will go into exile. You'll go into exile because of your sins. And yet, uh, all throughout the prophets, we see this promise that God will bring back his people to the land that he had promised, that God might dwell with them. And then, they, then we are told very often, too, in the prophets that he will bring them to the mountain of God where God will meet with his people. Now, both of these themes, all throughout the Old Testament and then into the New as well, both of these themes of the reception of the promised land in the time of the, of the restoration and of the inheritance of the mountain of God are regularly used by the prophets to describe the salvation that would come in the days of the Messiah. And this is the reason why the apostles will often say things like, we, we approach, uh, we, we, the author to the Hebrews, for instance, we, we can approach Mount, Z uh, Mount Zion. 
We, we are those who have a right to the worship of God in the mountain that God uh, has appointed for us. The end of the exile is the worship of God on uh, his mountain. Now, uh, that is the thing uh, that is promised. Those who trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Now, one question that we need to ask at this point is, um, if, if this is held out in the, the Bible as always the the hope for those who trust in God. This is always the thing that's being held out. You will be with God forever. Your sins will be forgiven through, uh, through faith and by grace. Uh, if, if this is, uh, if this is the, uh, what the scriptures teach, we need to ask ourselves, where are we then in this journey to the mountain? Are we already there? Have we already inherited the mountain because the Lord Jesus Christ has come? Uh, in some ways, we can say, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ has come, and there, therefore the exile is over. We are with God. We have access to him, as we read from uh, Hebrews chapter 5. We have access to God that we enjoy right now. And yet, it's important also to recognize, brothers and sisters, that there is another sense that the scriptures give about our state, and that is that we are still in exile. We have not yet attained everything that we are to attain. And the, the promise of the reception of the land and the mountain really is going to be fully when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and when we are brought into our, our heavenly dwelling. That is when we will, we will have, as Isaiah says, in the end of days, the mountain of the Lord that is raised above all the mountains when, when all the nations will come. Uh, that is happening now, and yet also it is yet to happen. Uh, therefore, when we think about what Isaiah is speaking about, we are those who are those of faith. We have an inheritance, the inheritance of the mountain of God, where we'll be with God forever. And yet, there is a need that we have to walk on a particular way. There is, an, there is a certain way that we are to carry ourselves in this life. We are to ask, therefore, how do we get to the mountain? How do we get to the mountain? And the answer is given in verse 14. One shall say, heap it up, heap it up. This, this could also be translated, the idea of build it up is the, is the idea. Prepare the way, or also translated in other, um, in other versions, the highway. Uh, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. There is a mountain, there is a way. Christians, we are to enter by the narrow gate. And we are then to walk on the narrow path, as the Lord Jesus Christ has said. We are to walk on the narrow way, the same way that Isaiah has described. Now, as we think about this way, this, this way that uh, Isaiah is describing here, it's important to, notice, to, to, to note that this is a, a major theme in uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, you know, we, are, we only are looking at Isaiah chapters 56 to 66, so this is, this is the first text that we are doing in this sermon series uh, where Isaiah has mentioned the way, the particular highway. And yet, uh, this is found all throughout the book of Isaiah and always, always in the context of the salvation that would come through the Messiah. Always without exception. So in, in chapter 11, when Isaiah describes uh, the, the root from the stump of Jesse, who will be filled with the spirit of knowledge and power and wisdom and the fear of the Lord and, and all other things, he describes then the, the days coming when there will be a new creation and all the animals will no longer hurt uh, each other, even as was in the days of uh, the Garden of Eden. He describes then also the, a banner being raised up and all the nations being brought in. Then he also says in those days, at the end of Isaiah 11, in the context of that prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, and a highway will be er erected. 
and all of the nations, they will return from their exile through that highway. The, the, highway, the highway will be the means by which all the nations come from their exile into the presence of God. Then in Isaiah 19, the similar thing is said, uh, that uh, God will punish uh, various nations, including Egypt and Assyria, and yet then in later days, he will raise up a highway and he will bring back the exiles of even the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Israelites. All of them will be brought back. The idea is that the, the ingathering of the nations uh, will happen when the highway is constructed. Uh, then in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, when Isaiah describes the, the days of the Messiah as days where uh, the lame will leap, when, the, when the, the mute will speak, when the deaf will hear, when the, when the, when the blind will have their eyes open, clearly a, a description of, of the new creation and the, the heavenly realities of the coming of the Messiah. Then he says, and a highway will be erected. It will be called the way of holiness. No unclean thing will ever pass on it. The redeemed of the Lord shall walk on it. It is, it is the highway out of exile and presence of God. Uh, then after Isaiah uh, spends a few chapters about uh, historical things, particularly related to the Assyrian threat, he then immediately begins the next section in Isaiah chapter 40 with this, this language of a voice crying out in the, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight these paths, the paths for my people to walk on to bring us back out of, uh, out of exile and into the presence of God, back into the promised land, back to the mountain of God. Same thing happens in Isaiah 49. This, this highway is further described in context in the context of the restoration of the people of God. Isaiah 57 is the same. And the last text that uh, Isaiah uh, uses where he speaks about this is the end of Isaiah 62, which we will come to uh, eventually. And you see the same thing. It is, it is a part of a prophecy about the days of the Messiah. Uh, this is the reason why it's so significant, brothers and sisters, when John the Baptist comes and the people ask him, who are you? And he says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. What immediately is then being said is that all of the things related to Isaiah and the promises of the coming of the Messiah, that they are imminent, that, that the way is being constructed because the Messiah is coming. And therefore, all of the things that are, being, uh, that, that, are, that are being promised in the book of Isaiah are to come to pass uh, through the one who comes after, the one who prepares the way of the Lord. John the Baptist came to prepare that way, and the way himself is the Lord Jesus Christ who describes himself as the way and the truth and the life. This is, this is what the scriptures teach about that way. And so the question then, brothers and sisters, is are you on the way? Are you on this way that is described? Uh, in other places, as I mentioned, as John Bunyan picks up on as well, uh, you can only be on the way if you've entered by the gate. The gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what it means to be on the way is that you have put your faith and your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to continue on that way, that way is, is, is merely simple, persevering obedience to Christ. It is, it is trusting in Christ and living in a way uh, that uh, corresponds to this. Now, um, you'll notice in verse 14, we are to, uh, the, the word is said, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Uh, this is what is done through preaching. This is what, what John the Baptist was doing. He came saying, prepare the way of the Lord. The, the creation of the way is done through the proclamation of the word of God. The idea is uh, 
let there be nothing that gets in the way of my people from repenting of their sins and of continuing in the faith, firm and steadfast to the end. I have provided for those who proclaim the word of God in the wilderness, and they are doing that, that every stumbling block against my people might be removed and that they might be built up in faith. Uh, this is what Isaiah is describing as the way of the Lord, that all of us are to walk on. Now, what is said next in verses 15 and 16 is truly amazing in terms of these promises. Notice he says, for, so this is connected to what comes before it, for thus says the high and lofty one. So what, why, so the idea is, why are you to prepare this way? Why, why should you prepare this way? The answer is given because on the one hand, God is transcendently glorious transcendently glorious, inhabiting eternity, whose name is holy, as the Apostle Paul will say, who dwells in unapproachable light, infinitely glorious, and yet, and yet also, at the same time, he dwells in a high and holy place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. On the one hand, God is infinitely glorious, and yet, and yet on the other, by his condescending grace, He's willing to be with any who's humble and contrite of heart. And if this is the case, if this is, this is the thing that's offered, you'll be on the mountain with God and he will come down to be with you. And he will do that for everyone who is humble and contrite in heart. And therefore, you should take away everything, every obstacle for the people of God. May it be that there be no obstacle for the people of God humbling themselves, becoming contrite in heart and walking on this way. Because at the end is the God who, even though he is so infinitely glorious, is willing to be with you. He's willing to be with you. This is actually a main theme in this section of Isaiah. I mentioned that I, this section is, goes from Isaiah uh, 56 to 66. And uh, here we have near the beginning, Isaiah 57. Isaiah speaks about uh, the, the holy God who inhabits eternity, who yet dwells with the humble and contrite in heart. And yet something similar will be said in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. So here, bookending this section of Isaiah, the beginning and the end. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah speaks thus in Isaiah 66, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. So I'm, I'm transcendently great. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made, and, those things, and all those things exist. So the idea is, I, God, God is saying, I, I'm so far above all the things in this world. You, you certainly couldn't make a house for me to dwell in. How, how could you possibly do this? This is what, what, what Solomon's picking up on with the building of the temple. Even the highest of heavens cannot continue. How much less this house that I built? And God, God's saying the same thing in Isaiah. I, I dwell in a place that is beyond this creation. And yet, but on this one I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Here is the amazing offer of the gospel as it is found in the book of Isaiah. The one who is so glorious will yet dwell with you. If you will humble yourself, go through that gate and walk on that path. And at the end of this, of this path, no matter how hard it is, the glory will be with God, with God forever on that mountain that he has prepared specifically for this purpose. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is to be our hope. There is no other hope that we have, that God is merciful and gracious, 
that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that he, though he is infinitely glorious, is willing to come down and to be with us by grace. And you'll notice that the, that the, the gracious element of this is emphasized even further. So not only, not only is it the case that God is just by nature infinitely higher than us, and yet then he's coming down to be with us, but also he's holy, he's righteous, and we are not. We're not by, by comparison. You'll notice what he says, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. Here, we, we, remember the context. It was verses 1 through 13 that was the description of the unfaithful house. Here we have the description of those who will inherit the mountain. And yet they're described as sinful. Remember, this is the, the, the language of of, uh, of salvation that is given in the prophets is language of restoration after exile. The point is that uh, you have to recognize that, you're, that, that the reason you're in exile is because of your sin. So, so if you were to, to think then, if you're just, just to ask the question again, Isaiah is comparing two kinds of people. You'll notice it's not here are the people who sin and here are the people who don't. Isaiah described the, the one group as being uh, terribly sinful. And yet also here he says that this, that this group that will eventually inherit the mountain, they were still struck by God because of the iniquity of his covetousness. And God even hid his face from them. They went on backsliding in their hearts. They were in exile. The reality then, brothers and sisters, is this, is that there is no room for any kind of self-righteousness. There's no room for any sort of boasting. Uh, if you are on the way, if you are on the path, if you have walked through the gate, it is merely because of the gracious actions of God. What, what, what is the difference? What, what's the difference between the two groups? One believes and one doesn't. The scriptures teach us that that faith comes from God himself. The point is that God has had mercy on one, and he's not had mercy on the other. There's, there's therefore no boasting. Both groups are described as unworthy of the grace of God. God's condescending grace is a glorious being condescending to a non-glorious being and a gracious God coming to a sinful people. And if then the exhortation of verse 14 makes perfect sense. Remove all of the ways. Remove every, every stumbling block. Clear the path that my people might walk on this road that leads back to me. For God is saying, I'm gracious. I'm merciful. I'm willing to condescend in my loving kindness for this people. Therefore, clear the way that they might come to me, that they might come back to me and be restored into fellowship with me. This is the description of God. And brothers and sisters, it is, uh, it is the reason why we ought to walk on the road. The one, the one who is preparing the way for us is the God who by his very nature is merciful and gracious. Now, we see then that the, the, the ability to come to God and to find him at the end is based upon his mercy. But you'll notice that the text actually goes even further than this. It's not even just the case that God's merciful and gracious. Therefore, if you, if you go through the gates and you, you go on the, on the way, you'll come to the mountain at the end and you'll be with God. It's not just the case. That it's not only that's the case and, and you know, God will be with you because he's willing to be merciful and gracious to you. You'll notice here that the backslidings are fixed by God himself. That it is, so the idea is that there is a repentance that's needed and God is the one who gives the repentance. 
I have seen his ways and will heal him. Heal, heal, healing what? The answer would be his ways. I will heal him from his backsliding ways. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. Uh, this is now th this theme is something that we see all throughout the prophets. It's very, very regular. The, the prophets will so often speak about they'll, they'll speak about the people like this, that the people have gone into exile because of their sins. They deserve everything that's coming to them in terms of the judgment of God. And yet in exile, what God is going to do is he's going to speak to their hearts. This is, this is, this is the context of Ezekiel's um, famous uh, prophecy. I will remove their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. But the point is, is that they did not fear me before. And because of that, they went into exile. And what Ezekiel is saying is, I will bring them back from exile. And when I do that, I will sovereignly put the fear of myself into their hearts so that they will not turn aside. That, that's what, 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 uh, what Ezekiel is saying. Uh, Jeremiah says the same thing. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 39 to 40, a uh, chapter after the famous uh, New Covenant uh, text, which actually has some of these same things as well, where uh, Jeremiah says that he will put the fear of, God will put the fear of himself into the hearts of the people, and I will cause the heart of this people to love me, which had so regularly turned aside. Because if God did not do that, the, the implication is that the exile would happen again. The people are in exile because of their sins. The exile is going to happen again unless God sovereignly acts to change the hearts of those who are in exile. And Isaiah is picking up on these exact same things and it's giving the exact same message. You, you are in exile because of your sins, but there is coming a day when God will heal the backslidings of his people. He will give them a heart not to turn away from him. He will create himself the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near. I will heal him, says the Lord, as it says in verse 19. Now, this, this language of creating the fruit of the lips is very similar to, uh, to Hebrews 13, uh, where uh, the, the author to the Hebrews speaks about the fruit of the lips that we have being our praise and worship of God. And here what Isaiah is saying is that God creates that. God creates that. He is the one who puts the worship of his own name into the hearts of those whom he so chooses. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, what, what this means further then is that uh, praise is the, the, natural, uh, the natural response. It ought to be the natural response of all those who have had this work of God done in their hearts. The, 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 the Spirit of God produces uh, worship and praise uh, of God, and God gets this praise for himself. So we have here, just, just to, to recap this, what this passage is about. There's a mountain. All those who trust in God will inherit it. You, in light of this, all of the obstacles that are on the way ought to be removed. There's this path that leads to that mountain. And you ought to remove all those obstacles because the one who leads you on the path is infinitely glorious and yet willing to be with you, a humble and lowly people. And he's willing to forgive you of all of your sins. And even, even further, he will sovereignly do this so that he will get glory for himself. This is the work of God, and it is the offer that is found in the gospel. This is, this is what you have. That This is the God that you will have. This is the God that you will have access to. Now, um, one of the things that we see in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is that uh, the Apostle Paul interprets this statement where it says, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near. 
Um, Paul interprets this statement as being related to the inclusion of the Gentiles. So those who are near are the Jews, and those who are far off are the, Gen are, are the Gentiles. And therefore, this is speaking about the, the gathering of the nations. And I think th this, is, this is obviously the correct interpretation, but it's important to see um, just how significant this is for the context. One of the things that we find all throughout the prophets is that the the, the restoration that comes in the days of the Messiah is always said to include the ingathering of the nations. And this is actually a theme that we've already seen in this section of Isaiah in particular. You remember Isaiah 56, there is this question, you know, who, who actually is going to be able to receive the grace of God? Can the eunuch, can someone like a eunuch really receive the grace of God? Isaiah is saying, yes, absolutely. The eunuchs who are faithful to me, all of them will receive, uh, will receive this grace. You remember who else was, was described in Isaiah 56? Was the foreigner was the Gentile. And what was said there is, if the Gentile turns to me, he surely will be received as find of God. And here we have in this general context of Isaiah, God saying, look, I'm coming to proclaim peace, peace to him, even who is far off. Even those who are far off, even those who may seem like they are so far from the grace of God, even though you may think that because of your sins, there's no way that God could have mercy or grace on you. You're so far from the covenant people. The word that is being spoken is that uh, those who are far off are brought near, as the Apostle Paul interprets, by the blood of Christ. Everyone is invited to this mountain, all of the Gentiles, and we are living, brothers and sisters, in the time when we have seen the proclamation of peace, peace, to go even to those uh, who are at the farthest corners of the earth, as is the case with the preaching of the gospel even here in San Francisco, so far away. Uh, from Israel. Uh, this, brothers and sisters, is, is, is the glorious description of the house that is faithful to God. This is the distinction between the house of the prostitute and the house that will find glory and grace from God on the last day on His holy mountain. You'll notice that the passage ends in verses 20 to 21 with a brief description of the wicked, again, just as the righteous were introduced briefly at the beginning of Isaiah 57, so too the wicked are briefly described in verses 20 to 21. And this is just to show uh, another way in which Isaiah is showing Isaiah 57 that the purpose of this passage is to contrast. It's to contrast two different kinds of people. There's only two different kinds of people. There are, there's on the one hand the idolaters, and there's on the other hand those who trust in God, who, who hope of righteousness within themselves, and they cast themselves upon God and recognize that it is God, in fact, who has given them the grace so to respond to Him. Those are the two people. Those are the two different kinds of people. And what is said is that even though, it, as we see in verses 1 and 2 of, of this chapter, that the wicked appear to be stronger than the, the house of faith, and that they are even putting them to death, that yet there will be no peace ultimately for the wicked, that there is a judgment that is coming. And though peace, peace is spoken to those who are far off and those who are near in the gospel, there is also a warning that is given, and that is, is, is that for those who do not turn, as you think about this description of these two sorts of people, for those who do not turn, there will be no peace. It is not a, a message of peace, peace for every single person without exception. It is to say there, there, are, two, there are two roads, there are two paths. And there is one that is the narrow way, as the, as the Lord Jesus Christ has said, the narrow way that leads to the mountain. The faithful will be on that road. And on the other hand, there is another path. It's the broad way. 
and it does lead to destruction. And there will be no peace for those who are on that way. And so, brothers and sisters, the question then to ask again is this. There are these, there's these two that are placed before you. As Moses says so many times, uh, life and death is put before you. Life and death. Two different kinds of people, two different families, two different houses, two different ways, and two different destinations. Brothers and sisters, see to it that you find yourself on the narrow road, the road that is characterized by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are on that road that leads ultimately to the celestial city. Now, if you remember from Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read it, you remember that, that Christian does persevere, and he makes it to the celestial city on Mount Zion, and he's, he follows a narrow path all the way to the end. And he has many difficulties along the way, many times where his faith is tested, and yet his faith perseveres. And there is one time where, uh, where John Bunyan says this about, about the, the, uh, the path. The, the whole point, remember, the whole point of the whole thing is you, you, stay, you get on the path, you stay on the path, you, you remain faithful to God. And we have this here from Pilgrim's Progress. I beheld then that they all went on till they came to the foot of the hill Difficulty. So the hill is called Difficulty. At the bottom of which was a spring. There were also in the same place two other ways besides that which came straight from the gate. One turned to the left hand and the other to the right at the bottom of the hill. But the narrow way lay right up the hill. And the name of the going up of the hill, of the side of the hill, is called Difficulty. Christian now went to the spring and drank thereof to refresh himself and then began to go up the hill saying, This hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way of life lies there. Come, pluck up heart. Let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. May it be that God would grant you the grace to enter through the gate and to continue on that narrow path and so find life in the end. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for this glorious description of this highway that is set up. How thankful we are that we are living in those days after the coming of John the Baptist, where we know that the way has actually been prepared and that the way is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we do pray that you would grant us the grace always to, to entrust ourselves to him. Lord, as we think about the idolatry of this world, as we think about uh, the, the, the house of the wicked and of the prostitute, Lord, we do pray that you would grant us the grace rather to cast ourselves upon you, to confess our sins, to give up any hope of finding righteousness within ourselves, and that we would simply entrust ourselves to you, that we would be in awe of your mercy and grace, that a God so great and glorious, who even inhabits eternity, would be willing to come down and to be merciful and gracious and have fellowship with us, sinners who are worthy of nothing but your condemnation and wrath. How we do thank you, O God, as we think about our own lives and, and the grace that you have shown to us, that you, you, you are the one who did, in fact, heal all of our backslidings. Help us, O Lord, as we think about this glorious reality, to respond with thanksgiving and praise and worship to your name, to know that it is this sovereign choice to heal our backslidings that is the only difference between us and the way of wickedness. And grant us the grace, O Lord, even as you are the one who has granted us faith in the beginning, that you would grant us the grace to walk on that narrow way, that we would 
uh, as Christian did so many, uh, as is described in the Pilgrim's Progress, that we would covet to ascend that hill of difficulty, if it be the, on the path that we are required to follow on the narrow way in the path to life. Lord, may it be that you would grant us this grace that we might all inherit your holy mountain. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.